Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia. I'm sitting here with Sarah McDooling and also Bronwyn Ely. And wait, where's our author? Oh, wait, it is Bronwyn Ely. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Bron, you wrote a book. I did. (laughs) Tell us about it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, it's called Relic and it's the first in a trilogy, the Relic trilogy. Um, It's YA fantasy for those interested. And um, it's about a young woman called Kaylin, who's a blacksmith, and she is ripped out of her, her job and her world to be what's called the Shadow, um, which is the personal servant to Lord Renard, the ruler of their city. And he's a real menacing, dark, scary kind of fellow, um, partly because he's a ruler and partly because he possesses something called a relic. There's only five in existence, and they are imbued with a very, very dark, horrible magic um, to the point where they protect Renard and they'll protect his bloodline. But anyone outside that bloodline is seen as a threat. So they are slowly poisoned if they're in proximity. So the shadow is kind of a sacrificial lamb that is chosen in a sort of lottery style. Um, uh, and and Kaylin is selected. And so she has to leave her family and her friends and go into the castle and um, serve as Lord Renard's servant, that's his shadow, and will eventually die. But once she's inside, she becomes aware of this plot to destroy all five relics and all the, the possessors. Um, it's underway. And she sort of is then thrown into this world of like, does she help them because she's in a unique position? Or does she just stand idly by and then eventually die? So we've both, Sarah and I have read this book and we absolutely loved it. No bias necessary <laughs> because the book stands on its own. Um, and just the thing that I loved so much about it is just the moral complexity that you've got in the story. Mm. Uh, was that, that was intentional, right? Um, yeah, I mean, everything I put in it was intentional. I mean, I think there's a, the moral complexities on a few levels. I mean, obviously, mm. the biggest one is, you know, hiring someone essentially to die. And mm. um, Renard, I try to make him an interesting character by, you know, he doesn't just allocate a person he essentially pays them for their life um he'll pay their their nearest family relatives or um or friends or something uh for for the service um and so he thinks that it's justified when in fact it's not (laughs) um but he thinks that he is doing everything right um and so how do you sort of how do you reason with a man like that I love that he's like such a great villain and you hate him and he's terrible but you don't make him black and white you do have that layer of like what would it do to someone if they had this magical thing that created made them totally isolated so that no one could ever be close to them without dying what would it do to you it would turn you into a bit of a monster so you can feel sorry for him whilst hating him which is like (laughs) It's well, done. It's the ideal. Yeah, it's exactly what I was going for because I do, I do like your classic black and white villain. They're hilarious, but um, sometimes I enjoy living in the grey. And Renault is definitely grey. And and I've already, you know, seen the books going out and getting reviews, and people are confused about Renault and how to feel. You know, if they should hate him or if they should feel bad for him. Um, but that's all intentional because all the a lot of the characters feel like that too. And his mm-hmm. wife. Um, you know, makes comments throughout the book about how, you know, he wasn't always like this. And, and then you start to question, well, if the magic's poisoning Kaelin and all the shadows, what does it do to the person that possesses it? Mm. It doesn't kill them, but what does it do to their mind and their lives? And you explore this so well, like with all the minor characters around him, like Jesper, his wife, 
and also Lear, his servant, and um, Marcus, mm-hmm. the head of the hunt. Right? Master of the hunt, yeah. Ma- yes, master of the hunt. Love Marcus. Um, <laughs> there seems to be a, a general consensus going around. Everyone's like, oh, Marcus. <laughs> Good. And just, I don't know, the thing that interested me the most was the way that you populated his household with people who could see both sides and were, try- were struggling to work through that. It's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome, but not. Yeah, in a, a way. Bit. Well, I mean, everyone who, uh, all the readers are kind of meant to be like Kalen. You know, they don't know Renard, really. Um, and so they're coming to the castle with Kalen and seeing him through fresh eyes and only seeing this bad side of him. And I mean, it's not only that he has become warped by the magic, but she's come at a time where his whole life is being thrown upside down because of this this plot, this rebellion that's um, trying to destroy him. And so his family is being picked off one by one and that and his power has been threatened, not just his life, but his power and his rule. And um, so he becomes very... Very like horrible. Animal, yeah. yeah, he's almost exactly, and his, his shackles have gone, hackles have gone up, and all that, and he's he's ready to pounce, and he's sort of taking um, bites at anyone who comes near him. But I mean, I want to talk about Kaylin now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's the main character for a reason. <laughs> Do you just? I love so much the from. I remember you first telling me about mm. this book. In fact, I remember in I think. I was trying to pin down, I think it was late 2016, going to Officeworks with you so that you could print out an early draft of this book so I could read it. And I was so excited because the idea of a female blacksmith main character just had me hooked. Mm. And she's everything you want her to be. Like, she's everything, just from that one sentence, oh, it's about a female blacksmith or a woman blacksmith. Like, you immediately conjure this, like, strong, capable woman who Mm. can just get stuff done and endure a lot and that's Kaylin, right? Yeah. Like where did she come from? Well, I mean, kind of a few things that sort of contributed to the kind of character she became. I mean, one of the main reasons I made her a blacksmith is because I always say that if I ever got trapped back in time, <laughs> right, because I think about these things, I would like to be a blacksmith. You're an Outlander fan. I am an Outlander fan, I know. It would make you very useful. It would be a great mm. profession to have. That's it. And um, I, you know me, I like physical jobs I'm a very physical active person um and I've and I've even done a weekend blacksmith course as you both know um to sort of get in the mindset and I just love it so I wanted that um I wanted to write about a job or something that I really loved so that sort of um meant that she became a sort sort of type of a different a certain type of person to be a blacksmith yeah. you know that physical hardworking, used to um being in pain a lot and the heat and the blisters and the bruises and all these kinds of things that come with um, being a blacksmith. Um, but Kaylin as well, I mean, I needed someone because the idea for the book came first, like the idea of the relic. And I thought when I was trying to create what my main character would be like, what kind of person do we need to have as a protagonist that would suit telling this story? I needed someone mentally strong and physically strong so that the effects of the relic when they start to take hold of her are really quite prominent like her body starts failing she's weaker she's losing muscle tone which she has right and then um her mind as well just being someone who's very uh, emotionally and mentally strong when the relic starts to warp her mind as it does you see that decline as well um but yeah i just i i'd love kaylin as well obviously um it's my favourite thing about the book, honestly. Yeah. And I love, like, going back to the fact that she's a blacksmith and, she, you know, she's working with metal and she can control that and she takes a certain pride in her work and mm-hmm. her craft. 
And just watching her come across the relic, this, like it is power contained in a physical thing that she can't actually have any control over, mm-hmm. where she's used to being able to produce something of use, you know, yeah. and just watching her helplessness in that moment, even though she was trying to fight, it was so like heart-wrenching. Yeah, it I mean, is. I wanted to share that loss of control. Yeah, mm. and the thing about her strength is, um, yeah, like she's, particularly before the relic starts getting to her, she's physically strong and she could beat you up and, <laughs> and all of that. But her strength is really so much more about endurance. Mm. And because mm. like I remember saying to you really early on, like I was like, but why wouldn't she just run? Because mm. like you could just run, like yep. get your family and run. And you explained to me like she can't yeah. because – he would never he would never stop coming after them. It would put everyone that she loves at risk and she would never do that. She yeah. would rather suffer the effects herself than even risk endangering mm. any of her family, which that's extraordinary strength. Well that yeah. I mean and that has to be there, I guess, because if that if you were called up, yeah, you would just run, right? I mean, the, why would you stay? But she has to stay for her family and her friends because Renard would take his worth out of all of them. And it's um, her whole personality. Her personality yeah. isn't run. Her personality is, well, I guess I'm dealing with this now. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and she's, yeah, I try to make her kind of a, a character that, you know, this isn't the first bad thing that's ever happened to her, you know. Yeah. I mean, she's mm-hmm. lost her father. Um, she has a, quite a turmoil family um, with her brother and things like that. Um, and so she's used to dealing with that hardship and she's used to facing those head on um, and being strong when she needs to be and then sort of in private maybe breaking down but, only just a Only little bit. But when she does break down, she's so open to other people though. Like she makes a couple of friends throughout the novel mm. and just the fact that she's so strong and so enduring but still has that softness to her and that willingness to connect. Like her friendship with Shay is so yeah. beautiful. Mm. And then later with Jesper and even with Lear and Marcus, it's just she's such a wonderful complex character. Thank you. And there's so much going on in this book. You mentioned just before about what Kaylin has to deal with with her brother mm-hmm. um, Elias mm-hmm. and just the nature of the relic itself and the addictive sort of uh, quality of the power and mm. what it does to you over time mm-hmm. seems to be like a, a sort of strong commentary on addiction. Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't I don't think I actually started with the intention of that having that commentary. It just sort of happened naturally. I think it's something I wanted to explore. Um, obviously, Elias was intentional, but as I was writing it and, and I'm writing more in the series now, I realised that there is a strong um, sort of head nod to to addiction, if you will. And um, especially because Kaylin, with her brother's addiction, she doesn't – she can't understand it. And, he's, he's and drinks. Yes, yeah, so yeah. he's, he's an alcoholic. She just can't understand why he does it and why he can't stop. And because that's what it is to be on the outside. You don't understand. Um, and – but there are so many forms of addiction and that's something that I touch on sort of more later in the series, but we start to see it in the first book. So we were talking um, before the podcast, Liv and I, about how much we prefer strong character-driven young adult like this. Mm -hmm. Because this is very character-driven. Yes. Um, Like while there's a strong plot. There is. And that's what's so great about it is I feel like you often have – it leans one way or the other. Mm. Like maybe the plot is quite simplistic but the characters are so rich or maybe the characters are a little bit like... Wishy-washy. Yeah, but the the plot is like a bit more archetypal. But in this case you really got a really strong plot. Like what's stronger than being called, forced into a job that means that you will die and then 
having to deal with all of that, plus a brewing rebellion, plus romance, plus, <laughs> like, there's just, there's amazing things going on plot-wise, but the characters are yeah. rock solid as well. What was your biggest challenge writing all of this? Like, what was, was there a moment that you just thought that you couldn't do it or, like? <laughs> um, I don't know if there was a moment I thought I couldn't do it, but the challenge because I, I am also very character driven. Um, that's the most important thing to me is representing people in the truest light that I possibly can. And it, as an author, you you know, you only know f- what you've experienced. So writing other perspectives can be really hard and that's, you've got to just do your best, right? Do your research, yeah. talk to people, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think my biggest challenge was just trying to make every character feel real and every um every decision they make feel like it actually makes sense for them as a character um, and not just making 2D characters, making them more 3D, thinking about mm. their lives. I mean, I was talking once with a, my best friend about it um, and and I was explaining my characters and every time I brought up something, he would he would rebut, but why? And so, and then I'd say something and he'd go, but why? And so I'd have to, and he did it intentionally so that I had to keep digging deeper because there has to be a route to everything that characters do as, yeah. as it is with real people. Um, and so I just, yeah, making them real. <laughs> that was the, the hardest bit and I hope I did it. Oh, you did it. I think you did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, So I was saying the other day that this is like, what are your inspirations for this? Because mm. I, I sort of think that there's, a little element of infinity stones to the relics just because they're powerful. Yeah, you said that to me and I was like, oh, my God. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, kind of reminds me of Katniss Everdeen and the fact that they're called up and she's got a family to take care of. Yes, I volunteered. But still very different characters. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and there's also like just I know know from knowing you and years of friendship, we both love Maria B. Snyder's Poison Study. Yeah. And there's a, a sort of element of that in that Elena in that story mm. is kind of under this threat of de- mm-hmm. death the whole time as well. Definitely. I mean, I always credit uh, Maria Snyder's Poison Study as being the book that kind of uh, opened my eyes to the YA fantasy genre and how much I love it and realising that I wanted to write it because I had this moment reading the book being like, oh, I want to write a book like this. This is great. <laughs> and, you know, her character Yelena is, yeah, trapped inside a castle in service that threatens her life on a daily basis and she is – um, exposed to poisons like traditional poisons mm. um and so there's definitely an inspiration from from maria's v snyder's books um and but yeah as you said there's uh, the hunger games is actually not something i i thought of when i was writing it but then um when i started explaining it to people they're like oh it's kind of like the hunger games i'm like kind of <laughs> i mean it's nothing like the hunger games but at the same time there's that lottery there's no prize at stake there's just death yeah, exactly <laughs> you can't win this one guys <laughs> and there's just one of you good luck um and so there's but there's that element of the lottery and the self-sacrifice which is something i always um loved about katniss everdeen mm. in the hunger games um but there's also uh, a, a really I think a strong element uh, linking to to Tolkien, and I don't mean to say that I'm nothing like Tolkien because Tolkien. No, we're is, talking about inspiration. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Tolkien is yeah. Tolkien, and I I would love to be as amazing as that one day that that epic fantasy on that level. But um, growing up, the I just love the concept of the ring. I always yeah. have, and and those I look. I admit I haven't actually read the books. That is because I was introduced to the movies as a younger you know, teenager without realizing 
were being told that they were books. Um, but now you have so much treasure ahead of you because you oh, read exactly. them one day. I know. And they're so big that I'm like, I'll wait till they're I've got more time. They're the book that you need to come to on your own time, yeah. I think. But the movies, right, uh, growing up with those, I uh, I just love them so much. I watch them regularly. I always mm. cry so many times, especially <laughs> in that last one. Um and right at the end, it's so bittersweet and I love it. And the ring, and I just love the concept of this thing that, you know, you it's think it's so just powerful. a stone, but it's so powerful and it's got a mind of its own and it it wants and it needs and um, it's got a plan <laughs> almost. And um, and it destroys you from within. It destroys mm. your heart, destroys your soul and your body. Um, and what, again, that's just another comment, you know, on what addiction does to people like Gollum. You know, was so addicted to it. He would yeah. murder, um, and and so that was definitely an inspiration for the relic because I wanted to explore that. That's some great pool of inspiration there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but um, yeah, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen because it's it's out in about a week, and um, the a reviews week. are coming out now, and it's how does it feel? Very odd. How does it feel to be sitting in the author seat? Very odd. For those listening (laughs) at home, Bron is out. Uh, she also she does our social media, but she's also our author room coordinator. So anytime an author comes in for a signing, she is running around pulling strings and making it all fall seamlessly into place. And And now she's sitting in the recording equipment. (laughs) And now and so today. Um, you sort of had to have both hats on a little bit. It was hard to let go of the, you know, for once being in front of the camera as opposed to behind the camera and, and not being like, no, no, take a photo from that angle because I know that that works. I was like, Bron, you're the author. You've got to switch all that off. And you're like, it's my room. It's my room. <laughs> Get out of my room. <laughs> this is my area. Yeah, that was very weird. But um, it was it was so exciting because, I mean, this is such an amazing job in that I get to meet all these authors and it's been such um, – uh, a helpful experience in mm. in many ways like it's been kind of sobering um to hear how hard it can be and to see the the long journeys that a lot of authors go on to even get any success but it's also been really encouraging because you hear those stories of success and the people who uh, were just about to give up like Aaron Blavy and then he just had, had those ideas yeah. and now look at him like like that that's what's so great about this room and the authors that we meet it is actually really inspiring mm. when you I have the opportunity to hear so many authors talk about their process and mm. their challenges they've faced and overcome. Mm. It's like the ultimate motivational speech. Yeah. Oh, and you know you're not alone as well. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed about the book community, um, it, it, it's very different to like, you know, uh, acting and music in that I really feel like authors are on each other's sides. Mm. You know, we are helping each other. We'll boost each other up. It's a little club. Um, and we're not really – it doesn't feel like you're competing, you know, because mm. there's there's room for good authors always. Um, you see how excited they get. Like, yes. Because, like, with certain authors we've come in and, like, you know them because you've, like, they've come in for signings so many times and then they find out that you've got a book and instantly they're just, oh, where, where can I read this? This yeah. is amazing. Yeah, exactly. It's just these authors who, like, they've endured the kind of – endured all the tests that publishing throws at you you Mm -hmm. know um, everyone wants that flashy overnight success but sometimes you've just got to build it a stone at a time sometimes that's the better way to do it I think yeah and I I think booksellers who are authors would know this yeah and there are so many bookselling authors out there there's Nina Kenwood um oh god I love her book our very own our very own John Purcell (laughs) yes exactly so I think you're uniquely placed to know what to do I think it's been great 
I also think that it's such a it's a thing that you do unless you're co-authoring. It's a thing that you do alone. Yes, and it's a very long, lonely thing. And so when you come out the other side of it and meet other people who have done it, you naturally uh, want to support each other because Definitely. you've been through that same. You're like, oh my god, lonely. I get it. <laughs> I get it. You did it too. High five, friends for life. Um, it just even coming out the other side in general, like for so long, it was just me and my laptop and Kaylin. And now yeah. other people are like, oh, Kaylin and Marcus and this. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> you know you been, are you in my head? Oh, no, wait, you read my book. Right. How does it, so how long overall, when did you start writing the book? I started uh, December 2015 writing this book. And I actually wrote this, the first draft in 82 days. Uh, it was very fast for me. Um, but over the next couple of years, I you know, edited and changed it up and whatever, and it became very long and large. I think it added like 40,000 words um, to that sort of – and then I started um, I started sending it out uh, and got picked up by Talon Press, who's the, uh, an Australian indie publishing house um, who focused solely on fantasy titles mm. with strong uh, heroines. And I was like, oh, that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> um, and – so, yeah, it's actually been a very quick process considering mm. how long it can take. Um, but I'm, as I say to people like my parents, um, this is just the first step in a very, very long journey that you have to keep working at. You can never stop. Um, and I don't ever want to stop Such working at it. Such an important first step, though. It, it is, it, that, that sort of foot-in-the-door concept. Um, but you have to keep working at it. You, you can't just take it for granted and think, oh, well, I've been published once, I'll be published again. That's not actually how it works. Um, and I th- Although you are finished the first draft of book two. Yes. And this is a three-book series. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, there's three books coming, which is great. And I'll start those edits next week, uh, which is really exciting. So, yeah. Without spoiling anything, mm-hmm. where can we expect – the series to take Caitlin like what kind of journey is she going to go on because book one ends on a pretty bleak note not (laughs) to spoil anything but I stood in like there's a certain page where I just stood there staring at it for about five minutes going you did not just do that (laughs) I know it's quite a slap in the face I mean Um, it's good very necessary (laughs) slap in the face come on gotta gotta (laughs) make an impression so what kind of journey is Caitlin in for well Caitlin for all the positive qualities she has she's still very naive in a lot of ways but so are many of the citizens of Idrias which is the city because they are to a most degree they're confined there and this is not in a they're a prisoner kind of way it's just how Lord Renard runs his city and the only people who leave the city are uh, merchants and, and, and people with permits it's very hard to get kind of thing he's a very regimented man and so Caelan doesn't know anything really about the outside world um, and so the, one of the goals is to introduce her to the world and to throw a lot of new th- concepts at her. Um, just like, you know, when you grow up in Australia, right, being so isolated from everywhere else and then suddenly you go to Europe and you're like, there are other people and other cultures. Oh, my God. And other relics. That's what I'm yes. excited about. So we know that this world that you've created has no magic in it in besides the relics. The relics yeah. are the only magic. That's it. So there's, there's no there's no dragons or anything. There's no mm. magic coming out of your hands. It's just in the five stones. And they're out there. And we are only familiar with one. Yes, we are. So this I'm exactly really... like the yeah. stones in Tolkien. <laughs> very different function, but oh my God. I'm interested to see not only 
if the other relics have a different kind of power, mm-hmm. but also who has them and how they use them. That's what I'm Ooh, yeah. keen for. Well, I don't want to spoil much, but there, I do introduce one of the other lords in the second book. And he is very, very different to Renard. I'll just say that. Spicy. <laughs> Spoiler. I think we need to wrap this up. Yeah, we could literally <laughs> keep talking about this book forever and ever. So and ever. easily. Um, so thank you, Bron, for deciding to sit in the author's chair today. It was interesting but fun. Thank you. <laughs> and if you love character-driven fantasy that's just epic and mind-blowing in every way, then you can order a copy of Relic from booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.